And since it's just six verses, I like to read the whole chapter, Isaiah chapter 12. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall you say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. When we read uh, this passage of Scripture, the thing that I was first struck with is that phrase in the beginning, in that day. You notice that phrase, in that day, it appears in verses 1 and 4. Isaiah points to a future date in his writing, and that date is unspecified. But it's a day that will certainly come to pass. Up to this point in the book of Isaiah, the phrase in that day has been used in reference to the coming judgment of Israel for their sins. Uh, We read in Isaiah chapter 2 verse 20, In that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each one for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats. There's that language of judgment upon Israel the sin of idolatry in the nation of Israel. They will be given to the moles and to the bats. And also in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 18, we read, In that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments. Again, a mention of this idea of judgment. But in Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 and 4, the phrase in that day now points to the time after judgment, to the time of salvation from sin. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Verse 1. And then verse 4. And in that day shall you say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. When we look at that verse 1, thou comfortest me, that phrase, thou comfortest me, it's interesting that how Isaiah develops that idea of comfort in the verses that follow. Look at verse 2. He basically is telling how he's going to comfort the people of God. He does it by telling them that about the God of their salvation. He says, behold, the word behold is an important word here. It says, take notice. This is an important thing I'm about to say. Behold. God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah, and that's the name for God as the personal covenant God that he revealed to himself to Moses at the burning bush. He revealed himself himself as Jehovah God. Isaiah says, is my strength and my song also has become my salvation. Is there anything that comforts the people of God more than God's salvation. Can you think of anything else? That if you're discouraged and depressed and confused, what does God use to comfort you and to bring you back uh, to your spiritual senses? He'll bring us to salvation. And this is what Isaiah is saying. And it's not only reserved 
by Isaiah, he's not the only one that says this. Notice what Moses says in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2. Moses says, The Lord is my strength and song, and he's become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And also David proclaims in Psalm 62. This is the psalm that we sang, Psalm 62, verses 7 and 8. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So the prophet Isaiah, like Moses and David, wants us to comfort ourselves in the salvation of God, which was brought about by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's really where salvation starts. It starts at the cross. And so I want to take this idea of comfort, and I want to see how this is developed by the prophet Isaiah. What are some comforts found in God's salvation? That's really what I want to do in this message, is to answer that question. What are some comforts found in God's salvation? And there are many comforts here that we will soon discover in this chapter And I will consider several of the comforts this morning, and then you have to come back this afternoon and find out what the other comforts are. So uh, there are a total of six comforts uh, that we're going to look at, three today in the morning service and then three in the afternoon service. So the title of my message is simply Comforts of Salvation, Comforts of Salvation. The first comfort that we find is salvation from divine wrath. Salvation from divine wrath. We see that in verse 1. And in that day, thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Thou hast was angry with me. Thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Now, how does God turn away his anger from sinners? That's a very important question to ask, and we need to find the answer to that. And for us, the blessing is that the Apostle Paul answers that question for us in Romans chapter 3. The Apostle Paul uh, was raised by the Lord to answer these deep, profound theological questions in a way that we can understand them. And he answers that in Romans chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 3. This is the answer to that question. How does God turn away his anger from sinners? And we're going to break into Romans chapter 3 at verse 21. And you'll notice the first word in verse 21 is but. There's a contrast here taking place. And what was Paul talking about before verse 21? He was basically talking about all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the purpose of the law was to show us our sin and to condemn us in our sin. But now, he says in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, 
to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Notice that word propitiation in verse 25. What does propitiation mean? If I were to ask you, tell me and define for me the word propitiation, you'd be able to tell me what that means. Well, Paul tells us what that means. Propitiation means the appeasement or turning away of God's wrath against sinners by means of an atoning sacrifice. Propitiation means a turning away of God's wrath. That's exactly what Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. Verse one. There is this changing of God's anger and appeasement. Instead of him being angry now at me, he is comforting me. He is loving me and being merciful to me. How did that happen? Well, Paul says it happened because of the propitiation made by Jesus Christ on the cross. Christ made a sacrifice for sin and for sinners to appease God's wrath so that that wrath that was directed for me went on Christ. You see, that's how God can say in Isaiah chapter, chapter 12, verse 1, that my anger was, has been turned away and now I comfort you because Christ because you believe in Jesus Christ, because your faith is in Jesus Christ, my wrath is now not on you, but on my son, and you trust in that atoning sacrifice made by Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what the word propitiation means. And that's why this is so importantly linked to that verse in Isaiah chapter 12. And that's certainly something that comforts us as God's people. When you discover the fact that at the cross... There was more than just a man being crucified here. There was this propitiation being made. There was this atonement, this sacrifice that Christ was making on behalf of sinners to turn away the wrath from us and to turn the wrath upon him. That's something that is certainly comforting to the, 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 to the ears of a believer because the fact is we deserve that wrath. We deserve God's anger because we've sinned. Christ didn't sin. Christ didn't do anything wrong. So why was Christ punished? Because he was being a propitiation. He was being an offering. God made him an offering for our sin. And the beauty about this is that Christ did it willingly. It wasn't forced upon him. He did it because he loved us. He did it because he wanted to save us from our sins and to turn that terrible wrath of God from us upon him. And when you look at the cross from that perspective... Doesn't that comfort your soul? Doesn't that want you to stand up and rejoice in the Lord and say to God, thank you, Lord, for making Christ my propitiation, for making Christ uh, my sin bearer, my sacrifice. And that's what Isaiah is talking about. This is what Paul's talking about. It's interesting that this Greek word translated propitiation here in Romans 3.25 is translated mercy seat in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 5. Uh, you know what the mercy seat was in the Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest containing the two stone tablets inscribed with the Ten Commandments was the most sacred object of the tabernacle. And later in the temple in Jerusalem, where it was placed in the inner area called the Holy of Holies. Also within that Ark were the golden pot of manna, such as was provided by God in the wilderness, wanderings, and Aaron's almond rod. On top of the Ark was a lid called the mercy seat, on which rested the cloud or visible symbol of divine presence. Here God was supposed to be seated 
And from this place, he was supposed to dispense mercy to man when the blood of the atonement was sprinkled there. Jesus Christ, by the shedding of his blood, turned away God's wrath. So when Christ's blood was shed and sprinkled on that mercy seat, instead of us receiving the wrath of God, God's wrath was appeased for us, but that wrath had to be put upon someone else, and it was put upon his son, Jesus Christ. You see how in the Old Testament, this idea of the mercy seat and this propitiation was pointing us to the cross, pointing us to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has propitiated God and delivered his people from divine wrath. And certainly that ought to comfort your heart and soul today. That ought to encourage your soul. So great salvation. That word propitiation is an important aspect of salvation. For God's wrath no longer abides upon us, brethren. We are no longer the children of wrath that is spoken of in Ephesians chapter 2, but we are now the sons and daughters of the living God. Why? By the propitiation that Jesus Christ made for us on the cross. The Apostle John talks about this in his epistle, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then later in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, John says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here, the Bible defines love not as this flabby, meaningless sentimental feeling but here the bible defines love as propitiation here christ defines what love is by becoming the object of god's wrath for you and for me and for all who would believe on the lord jesus christ what comforting words that is for the child of god we will never experience the wrath of god the closest thing we will come to when it comes to the wrath of God is to read about it, to think about it. But for the child of God, we will never experience the wrath of God because of Christ's propitiation he made on the cross. The doctrine of propitiation comforts the Lord's people. The question I have is, is Jesus Christ your propitiation? Is he? Is he your sacrifice? Is he the one that you trust in to appease God's anger and wrath. It's not going to do you any good to plead with God personally. It's not going to be any good to try to calm God down. You have to have an advocate. You have to have someone who will appease God. Who is that? Christ. You can't come alone when it comes to talking to God about his wrath and anger. It must be appeased, and it must be appeased only by one person, and that is Jesus Christ. And that's the comforting news of the gospel, is that Jesus Christ came... <laughs> to take away the wrath of God from sinners. So that's the first comfort. What is another comfort in salvation? Well, secondly, salvation from the spirit of fear. Not only uh, salvation from divine wrath, but salvation from the spirit of fear. We read in verse 2 of Isaiah 12, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. 
Before you come to know the Lord, you're in a state of fear. You're in a state of uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen when you die. You don't know what's going to happen with your life. You really have no purpose and focus before you come to Christ. I remember that in my own life. I remember going to my mother and asking my mother, Mom, am I going to go to heaven? Am I going to see God? Am I going to be with God when I die? And she would tell me, yes, you're, you're going to heaven because you're a good boy. Well, that's the worst thing to hear when it comes to confidence and comfort. He gets it back on me. I'm, I know I'm not good. I know I'm, I deserve nothing but hell. But how can I know that I'm going to heaven? How can I know of this fear that keeps nagging at me about this dread of death? You know, people today dread death. They think of death as something not even to talk about because it's so dreadful and so terrible and so dark and bleak. There's that fear that paralyzes you. And I was in that state. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to think about it. Let me turn on a football game. Let me watch my favorite sports team. Let me put on a movie. Let me forget about it. The worst thing, I don't want to think about dying. And yet, death's all around us. Decay is everywhere. As we sang in that hymn, Abide With Me. And yet, because of the fear of death, we want to escape that reality. And we do. People today escape the reality of death by escaping into their fantasy worlds, into the realm of entertainment and sport but never, ever come to realize this reality of this fear. They don't deal with the fear. Well, salvation deals with those fears. When we become a child of God, when we trust in the Lord, we no longer have that fear. We no longer have that spirit of fear that causes us to live in a life of bondage. Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind. Salvation is a, is a power that takes away the fear and replaces it with faith. We no longer live by fear. We live by faith in the Son of the living God. And therefore, when we look at this subject of death, we ought not to cringe and hide and escape. But no, we ought to find out what the scripture says about this this terrible thing that causes so many people to be in bondage of. What does it say? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 deals with this very fear of death. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The spirit of fear, the fear of death. Christ saves us from that. Christ delivers us from the fear of death. Are you afraid to die today? There's a sense in which we all are somewhat trepidatious when it comes to death because there is this element of no. We've never died and come back. We only die once, right? We've never experienced it. So there is this fear, this uncertainty. But what we have to realize is we can't allow our fears to drive our understanding of death. We need to allow the scripture to teach us and to dictate and to be our guide when it comes to this subject. And what does Hebrews chapter 2 tells us? And deliver them who through, of de- who through, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that 
Christ has saved you from the fear of death. Christ has saved you from the spirit of fear. We no longer are under that bondage, thanks, thanks be to God. And if you still find yourself under that bondage, cry out to Christ to save you from it. It strangles you. It cripples you. It paralyzes you. And it's real. And we all face it. We all wrestle with it. But the scripture is given to us to help us battle these things and understand these things so that we can become more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. The fear of death, the spirit of fear, the fear of man, no longer to be governed by the fear of man. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. When we become Christians, and this is something that is part of our sanctification, the fear of what men think regarding the scripture, regarding what God says and what God has done in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not significant to us any longer. Because when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and tell others about the Savior, when they reject this message, they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting God. It's God's word, it's God's message, it's God's salvation. And so when we understand that, that fear of man should dissipate. That fear of man should not keep us back from sharing the truth about Jesus Christ. Because the people that we're talking to, they're the very ones that need to be delivered from fear. Those are the very ones that if we're afraid of, they need themselves to be delivered from fear. Therefore, God has given us not a spirit of bondage or fear, but it's given us a spirit of freedom. In Galatians 5, it says, Stand in the freedom where Christ has made you free, in that liberty in which Christ has made us free. And this is what Isaiah is talking about uh, in his, his writing in Isaiah chapter 12. No, we are not to live by fear, but we are to live by faith. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith, not by fear. And especially in the world in which we live, where there is so much fear talk about what men can do, what men are capable of doing, what evil men are capable of doing, with these massive weapons of destruction that they can unleash in just a matter of a button, are we to be paralyzed and become fearful of what they do? Are we going to look to God and know that every leader, every king, every governor is under the sovereign rule of God? And God does all things well, not only for our good, but for his glory. And yet how many times do you catch yourself becoming fearful of what evil men will do? Fearful for your children, fearful for your family, fearful for your country, fearful for your family. Fear, fear, fear. It can paralyze and it can cripple us. <laughs> Scripture says faith, 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 trust in the Lord. And that's what Isaiah is talking about here in Isaiah chapter 12. Verse 12 Psalm 29 verse 11 says, The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. The Lord will strengthen us with the faith so when the times of trouble come, when the times of difficulty come, I will put my trust in the Lord. I will not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. 
So we looked at two comforts this morning. We've looked at the salvation from divine wrath and salvation uh, by the Lord when it comes to removing that fear in our lives. The last comfort I'd like to consider this morning is salvation by divine grace. Salvation by divine grace. And I find that in verse 3. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And where do we find these gracious wells of salvation? Is this just a beautiful metaphor for us to make us feel good? And no, this well of salvation really exists. It's this book that you have in front of you. This is the well of salvation. When we look at the scripture and we study the scripture, these are wells full, not with water, but with grace. And knowledge and power for the child of God to comfort themselves in this evil world. Can you imagine living in this world without the scripture? How could you get anywhere without the word of God? You wouldn't have any faith because the scripture says faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But God graciously has given us the wells of salvation. He's given us the scripture. And these wells of salvation are found in the Bible. Uh, I love what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Here's the wells of salvation, that by these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. <laughs> Doesn't the Scriptures comfort your soul? I mean, these are comforts of salvation. <laughs> these are blessings and treasures that we so often take for granted. But yet Isaiah, here in Isaiah chapter 12, he's reminding us of the comfort of salvation through these wells. These wonderful wells. And what are some practical benefits we receive when we draw water from the wells of salvation? Well, first thing is we receive spiritual grace to drink. When you go to a well, one of the purposes of a well is to drink from the well, right? That's what um, Christ was sitting at the well in John chapter 4. He was thirsty. And when you go to the well, you go there to drink. Um, and that's why Christ says... To the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 15, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Christ himself says the purpose of the well that he offers is to drink from it. Jeremiah says that the Lord is the fountain of living waters. It's the same idea uh, that we read of Isaiah here, the wells of salvation. The question I have is, what, have, you, have you drunk from the wells of salvation lately? Have you meditated upon the word of God? And has the scripture become like cold water to a dry soul? You read about in Proverbs 25 that cold water to a dry soul is like good news from a far country. There is this, this refreshment that comes when you drink 
from the wells of salvation. When was the last time you yourself experienced that refreshment of soul? When was the last time you dug into the scripture? You drew from the word of God and you felt that spiritual refreshment from the spirit of God impressing a word upon you from scripture, impressing a thought upon you from scripture. This is what Isaiah is getting at. It's getting at the fact that we are comforted by the wells of salvation. But if we don't go and draw from them, we're not receiving the blessing of it. We're not being nourished. We're being dehydrated. And it's terrible to be dehydrated because dehydration leads to weakness and sickness and misery and confusion. And yet how many people today I feel are spiritually dehydrated because you don't draw from the wells of salvation. You don't draw from the Holy Scripture yourself. You've got to do it. But it's not something that is an obligation. We want to do it. We want to drink because we know that these wells of salvation taste great. They're cold and they're reviving and they're refreshing. And when we don't drink from the wells of salvation, the only people we're hurting is ourselves. We're not hurting our neighbor or our friends or our family members. We're depriving ourselves of the comfort of these wells of salvation. And oh, God help us. God help us to experience in a more fuller way and in a more real way what Isaiah is talking about here uh, in chapter 12. In John chapter 7, verse 37, Christ says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. In a sense, you could say the scripture is the wells, are the wells of salvation, but you could say that Christ himself embodies the well of salvation. We need to go to him. We need to drink upon him. We need to take the grace and the water and the teaching of Christ and feed our souls and nourish our souls and drink our souls with the water of which is provided by Jesus Christ. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, the psalmist says. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you tasted from the wells of salvation? Only you know. God knows too, but you and God. If you haven't, start drinking. Start drawing from the wells of salvation. Start drawing from the scripture. Not only is a well designed to to give us drink, but we also receive spiritual grace to grow at the wells of salvation. That's where we grow. You know, water is used to water things, and to, to, especially when it comes to flowers and plants. You see people, now that the warm weather is finally here, hopefully the cold is behind us, now you can start planting your beautiful flowers. And what do you do with flowers when you plant them? You've got to water them, right? You've got to use that water so that they can grow, that they can become pretty and colorful and make your house and your, your area nice so people can say, come by and say, well, you have beautiful flowers. Well, how did they get beautiful? I watered them. I watered them. I took time to care for them. When people went to the well, not only did they drink the water, but they used the water so that they could water their, their gardens and their plants so that they can grow. And I, I, I have this important idea for us to keep in mind when it comes to the wells of salvation that this is designed for our spiritual growth. God's given us the scripture. God has given us these teachings so that we can grow 
in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As 2 Peter chapter 3 so clearly says, and the only way we can grow is if we're drawing from the waters, drinking, and letting that grace work its effect. And as we drink, it'll just make us grow and be stronger in the things of the Lord. Just like a beautiful flower needs the water to grow and to look pretty, so does the Christian. Today, I'm afraid Christians look withered and faded away because they are not watering themselves by the word of God. There are too many dandelions growing up in their life. My, my daughter and I went out to cut uh, lawns yesterday. And she's my little helper. And she would help me with little things. And there was a yard that we went to that we didn't cut the grass. We cut the dandelions. There were dandelions everywhere. Everywhere. You don't want those things to grow in, in your, your lawn. You want those things out of here. You want to treat those dandelions so that they don't come up. You can look at like in that to sin. The people's lives are so full of sin and so full of those things which don't belong in their life. How do you get rid of them? You get them by removing them and then watering the grass so that it will grow up to not be those dandelions. So that we can treat those things effectively, remove those things which become an eyesore and a burden in our life. The church just paid our first installment of uh, a treatment on our grass uh, against dandelions. We don't want them on our grass. They're in our grass. We don't like them. They're an eyesore. And so, too, the Christian realizes that there are dandelions that grow up in our life that need to be removed. And then to replace those, we need to put plant those things will, which will cause beauty and growth and spiritual vigor in our life and water those things and nourish those things so that we can grow as Christians ought to grow. And then the last application that we can find from the wells of salvation, not only is it to drink and to grow, but the wells of salvation, you use the water for cleansing. When the people went to the wells, they used water to clean themselves and to clean their vessels and to clean their, uh, the things that, they belong, that belong to them. And we have spiritual water for cleansing at the wells of salvation. When we sin, when we feel that dirt from the world, how do we cleanse ourselves? By taking heed to the word of God, by going to the scripture for cleansing. Zechariah chapter 13 verse 1 says, In that day thou shalt be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So when Isaiah is talking about these wells of salvation, he's talking about this idea of cleansing from sin, cleansing from uncleanness. Psalm 51 verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And so this is an important application as well when we use the wells of salvation. It causes us to be clean from the defilement of the world. And it may be personal defilement. It may be just defilement being in the world. You may be in the world and you may hear a conversation or you may hear, see someone do something and you, you're corrupted by it. You're defiled by it. How do you cleanse yourself from that? How do you deal with that? You go to the word. You go to the wells of salvation for cleansing and for renewal. And that's what Isaiah is teaching us. 
In Isaiah chapter 12, we've learned comforts of salvation, which include salvation from divine wrath, salvation from the spirit of fear, and salvation by his grace, as illustrated by the wills of salvation. This afternoon, Lord willing, we will learn more comforts of salvation. But my prayer is, is that the Lord might indeed make you realize that when it comes to salvation, God has certainly comforted us with so great salvation. And let us thank God for this and let this message encourage us uh, to seek the Lord and to praise him with all our hearts. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank you for uh, this passage in Isaiah 12. We thank you, Father, for the comforts of salvation. Lord, salvation from the wrath of God. We truly uh, are amazed that Christ would take upon himself the wrath of God in our stead, that he would be our substitute, that he would be the one who would take our place. And then also the, the salvation uh, from the spirit of fear, Lord. You have taken away that crippling fear that often plagues so many today, Lord. And you have replaced it with faith. You replaced it with uh, love and, and trust in thy word. And then, Lord, finally, you've given us that ability, Lord, to um, be saved by grace, the wells of salvation, how rich we are to be able to go and draw from the wells of salvation. Lord, help us to draw from Scripture daily. Help us, Lord, not to rob ourselves of the blessing. Help us not to become dehydrated spiritually, but help us, Lord, to nourish ourselves and to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray today uh, that you will apply thy word to our hearts, that the Spirit might come and impress these things upon us, that we might not soon forget what we heard today in your house, but that we might take what we've heard and prove upon it and rejoice over these things. So take our thanks for this time now and bless us, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.